Well, God bless you guys. Welcome once again uh, to Swerve Church. So glad you guys and brave the heat to be here with us. And I hope you guys have an awesome time in worship. Isn't it great just to worship God, to spend some time singing, praising, praising Him, and crying out to Him, praying to Him, however you uh, you worship God. It's a wonderful time. And thank you guys so much for uh, coming here today. So th- there was this young lady in the country of Germany, right? And uh, she was walking down the street, and it was a beautiful day outside. She didn't have a care in the world. There's nothing on her mind. She was a young lady. She was only 16 years old. I don't know if she was just coming out of school. I don't know if she was heading out for a hot date or, or whatever. I don't know. But as she's walking, she's doing something that you and I do probably all the time. As she's walking, she's fiddling on her phone. Right? She's, she's on her phone. She's walking head down, checking out. Maybe she was checking her best friend's latest Instagram post or maybe she was answering a text from one of her parents. Hey, when are you getting home or whatever? She's walking with her head down. She's fiddling on the phone. Whatever's going on, I really don't know, but she's, she's definitely distracted. She's totally distracted. And so she comes to the intersection and her face is buried in the phone and she begins to cross the street. And she's so distracted that she doesn't even bother to look up from her phone. She doesn't even bother to look before crossing to avoid oncoming traffic. And unfortunately, can you guys only imagine the, the unthinkable and the worst thing you can ever think of? You know, this young lady lost her life because she was distracted. I don't know, a couple weeks ago, I don't know if you guys saw the news, but there was an older lady who was also walking on the street. I think it was Queens. I'm not 100% sure. It was one of the, within the five boroughs. And she's walking around, and uh, she's on her phone. She doesn't even realize... That, you know, one of those cellar doors, the basement doors that you see out on the street, my kids love to jump on those things. One of them were open, and she's on the phone, an older lady, and she goes head first. She tumbles over the door and goes head first into the basement, and she got very hurt. She was distracted. Distraction is one of the warrior's greatest enemies. We're all susceptible to it, susceptible to it you and I. We've all been there, but men... It's especially true of us. Distraction can get our focus off the game. It can keep your head in the clouds. And it can really keep you from progressing and moving forward because we get distracted. And if you let me be completely honest with you guys today, I'm going to be totally open and honest. This week, every time that I would sit down and I was preparing this message, every single time that I would sit down and and I'll open my Bible and I'll go to the verses that we're going to be reading in just a moment and I'll begin to prepare. Every time I would try to put pen to paper, every time I would open up my laptop or sit behind my computer, start, you know, clicking keys to try to write down and, and type up the message, I was distracted by something every single time. You've all been there, right? You, you've all, that's all happened to each and every single one of us. Whenever there's an important paper you have to write or there's a report that you have to fill out for work or there's a task that you need to complete, what happens? A million and one distractions, right? A million and one distractions. And it was the same for me this week, if I'm completely honest. Every time I would sit down to try to get this message on paper and get it prepared, my phone would receive a, a notification, bing, it would go off, and I would look, oh, what's going on on Facebook, on Instagram, whatever, or I'd get an email, or, or the kids would start to fight over who wants to watch the TV, and I'd get a phone call, or, or, man, every single time, I was just so, so distracted this week. 
And those distractions, those type of distractions happen to us all and they can affect us or slow us down, you know, professionally or accomplishing a particular task. But today we're going to be looking at three things that can distract the warrior from his connection to God and his connection to others, his connection to other people. So you see, you see, today we're going to be looking at a passage in 1 John, one of John's letters in the New Testament. So if you have your Bibles, you can check it out. If not, take out your notes. Everything is there for you guys there today. John was one of the original 12 disciples of Jesus. This guy walked with Jesus. And in fact, he called himself the one whom Jesus loved, which, which meant they had a particularly close friendship. And in 1 John, the author, John, is primarily writing to believers, as you read this letter, it's a very short letter towards the very end of the Bible, right before Revelations. The letter never clearly indicates which group of believers he's talking to. A lot of times when you read Paul's letters, Paul will let you know, hey, I'm writing to the church of this or the church of that. John is not quite clear. It's not quite clear what church or what group of believers. We don't even know really what geographic area. But John is writing to encourage the believers. He's, encouraged, he's writing to encourage you and I, followers of Jesus Christ. And he's also trying to correct some false teachings that have been going around in his time. And he, he's trying to assure them of their salvation. He wants to make sure that they know, man, you have been saved. And so when it comes to fighting against these distractions that want to keep us, and we're about to read them in, in a second, but when, we, when it comes to fighting against these distractions that want to keep us from living out God's best, we need to remember two things. We need to remember who we are and whose we are. In other words, we need to recollect our identity. We need to know who we are and whose we are. Who do we belong to? See, John is about to rattle off some of those distractions that you have, that I have. He's about to tell us those, those distractions that want to catch us off guard and drag us down. But before he does... He's going to tell his audience, he's going to tell the people reading his letter who they are. And I hope that this will help you guys out today to remember who you are as well. Number one, if you're taking notes, take out your message notes, grab that pen, take notes. It will help you retain information and you can go during the week with these notes out and pray over them as well. Number one, if you're taking notes, you know the Father. You know the Father. And here's how he says that you have it there in your notes in 1 John chapter 2. And we're going to be spending most of our time right here in this passage. 1 John 2 verse 14. The first part of the verse says this. I have written to you children because you have come to know the Father. And I love how in this particular verse right in the beginning he opens up by calling his readers what? He calls them children. He says children in the context of coming to know the Father. Now you guys remember, those of you that were here last week, we dealt with some daddy issues, right? With some of the father wounds that we've been carrying around, a lot of us carry around, and we spoke about the wanting and the desiring of healing from those very profound wounds that many of us carry. By the way, this week I was praying for you, those of you that took the next step to ask God to begin to heal, to begin to soften your heart so that you can allow healing to take place, I just want you to know that I was praying for you this week as you were taking those next steps. But here, John it reminds us that regardless of the fractured relationship you may or may not share with your earthly father, we can know and be known by our heavenly father. So regardless of the relationship you have with your dad here on earth, you can have, you can be known and, and be known by your heavenly 
Father. And for those of us that have tasted and seen that God is good, the way the psalmist says, then we know and we can sing that He's a good, good Father. And unlike our flawed parents, as great as they are, they, they are flawed. Unlike them, God is perfect. God is holy. God is good. And He has adopted us into His family through Christ, out of His great love for us. Our identity is child of God. We are His children. So I love how John opens up by saying, children, children, listen up, you know, because you have come to the Father. Here's the second part. Number two, if you're taking notes, you know Jesus. You know Jesus. And he says it like this in 1 John chapter 2, verse 14, the second half of the verse, says, I have written to you, fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. Do you guys please underline right there in your notes, you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. Who is John talking about there? <clears throat> Who's the one that's from the beginning? Who is John talking about? He's talking about Jesus. In fact, if you read the Gospel of John, you guys know there's four Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you read John chapter 1, verse 1, he writes this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. So who's he talking about there? Who was at the beginning? Jesus. Jesus was. So to know the one from the beginning is to know Jesus. Jesus was at the beginning. All things were created by and through Him. He then made Himself one of us and entered earth as a man. He lived a perfect and sinless life and He died a wretched death on the cross to pay the price for your sins and for mine. He rose from the dead and now He reigns and rules, sits at the right hand of the Father. And by Him and His perfect sacrifice, we are forgiven of our sin. And all we have to do is surrender our lives to Him. He gave His life for us, so the only reasonable response is for us to surrender our life to Him. Profess that He provides salvation and know that we can't do it ourselves. We cannot provide our own salvation. It's only by God's grace through Jesus. Accept God's way of redeeming all mankind through His Son, Jesus. So to know Jesus is to be forgiven, be restored, and to be redeemed. So John says, Fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. Who's the one that was from the beginning? Jesus. And Jesus provides salvation of sin. Then he says this. He continues on. And in fact, it's in First uh, John, the last uh, chapter 2, the last part of verse 14. This is not in your notes. And uh, I'll be honest with you. It's probably not in your notes because I was distracted. That's probably why. Uh, but verse 14, it says this. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong. God's word remains in you, and you have conquered the evil one. So real quick, I put all these three together. You are strong, God's word is in you, and you conquered the evil one. And he's talking to the young men. In particular, in this part, he says, you, you are strong, God's word is in you, you conquered the evil one. And hopefully, I, I, man, I pray and I hope and I dream that this can be said of us all, of every single one of us that are here, that we're strong in our faith, withstanding the world's sorrow, withstanding the world's strife, that we'd have an ever-increasing vigor and connection to God and His mission. 
that God's word would be firmly planted deep within our hearts. That, that it would be our lifeline and truly be living and active in, every, in our everyday lives. That we would set apart time daily to dive into God's word. How I long for that to be true of each and every single one of us here. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then it can also be said of you that you have conquered the evil one. Because the plan that the enemy had over your life has been thwarted. You have been defeated. You have defeated the enemy. He no longer has a stronghold or grip over your life. Instead, through Jesus, you are adopted into the family of God. And guess what? Your eternity is secure. Not because of anything you did, but because of what God did through Jesus for you. So I pray that it can be true of all, three, of, all of us. You are strong. Strong in the faith. God's word is in you. We're digging into God's word daily, seeking him out. And that we have conquered the evil one because Christ has rescued us from our sin. And now, as we continue in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, I want you guys to notice that John's going to change the way he talks a little bit. He was super affirming. He was saying all this great stuff about the audience. But now he's going to change his tone. He's going to change his tone to one of warning. And this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time. Okay, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, you have it there in your notes. Look what it says. Do not love the world. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Would you guys underline the first part of that verse? Do not love the world. Do not love the world. It's so important because in the verses to follow, he's going to explain exactly what that means, okay? If you're here and you're like, man, what does that do not love the world? What does that mean? Does that mean I can't love pizza? Does that, I can't love going to the beach? Is that what that means? He's going to explain it to us <coughs> a little bit deeper. But John is not talking about not loving the world cosmos, okay? He's not talking about the cosmos. He's not talking about trees and, and days off and, you know, and, and, and going to the beach and, and having a good time. He's not, he's not talking about those things and, and enjoying, you know, enjoying a sandwich or whatever, a vacation. He's not talking about the world cosmos. Instead, what he's talking about when he says, do not love the world, he's, saying, he's referring to the systems of the world. The systems of the world. Maybe you want to jot that down in your notes, write a little, a, a little arrow, whatever. That helps you understand the circle world. The systems, the world's system. These are the things that are contrary to God's word. These are the things that every warrior has to battle against. These are the things that are battling for your attention. It's battling for your heart. And it's battling for your affection. And each one of these things wants to draw your eyes away from Jesus. So... What are these things, right? Do you want to know? What are these things that are battling for us? What is it? Well, let's look at verse 16. It says this. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from where? It's from the, from the world. All right, so he lists off three things there. Did you guys catch it? Here's the first thing, if you're taking notes. The lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh. Now, what is that? What is the lust of the flesh? Well, basically, it's surrendering to everything that your flesh desires. Instead of submitting to the will of your spirit, it's submitting to your flesh and its desires. See, the flesh is everything your body and its five senses desires, which is contradictory to what the spirit desires. Now, listen, we're all sinful by nature 
and choice. Within us is a war that's waging against doing what the flesh craves, what it desires to do, and what our spirit longs for. And I'm pretty sure everybody here has felt that tension of this war that's waging inside of us. And in Galatians, uh, Paul, who wrote this letter to uh, the church in Galatia, Paul lists for us the fruit of pursuing the lust of the flesh. In other words, if you pursue the lust of the flesh, what comes out of it? What, what happens when you pursue the lust of the flesh? So to help us understand this, let's read Galatians 5. Okay, So when you submit to satisfying the cravings of your sinful nature, the outcome is all of these things. This is Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 to 21. You have it there in your notes. Look what it says. When you follow the desires of your, what? Of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. So he lists off, these are the fruits of the flesh. In other words, if you succumb to the fruits of the flesh, the lust of the flesh, these are the things that are produced by it. Now for us men, let me talk to the fellas for a little bit. One of the lusts of the flesh that I want to highlight for us fellas, for us guys that are here, is sexual immorality, impurity, and lustful pleasures. To sum it up in one word, sexual sin. Because our spiritual enemy would love nothing more than to have you sacrifice your spiritual purity. And one of the ways he would love to do that is through sexual sin. After all, the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that every other sin that you commit is outside of your body except for sexual immorality. It's a sin that's against your own body. And you guys can all think about how many ruined marriages, how many ruined families, and how many ruined relationships have been torn apart because of the craving of sinful sexual appetite. How many? So many, right? And fellas, guys, this is why we need to place serious boundaries and take this very serious because our spiritual enemy, you know what? He's, he's roaring around. He, he's, he's, he's walking around, roaring around like a lion seeking whom he can devour. And so it's so important for us to be careful and to put boundaries up because our enemy will love nothing more than to knock us down. I want to show you guys this clip from a movie. You've probably seen it. It's an old movie now. It's called Fireproof. Have you guys ever seen it, some of you? And so in this movie, it's played by Kirk Cameron. Kirk Cameron's the main actor. And in it, he's struggling uh, with sexual purity, okay? He, he has an addiction to porn, and it's really affecting his, his already strained marriage, right? And so he finally makes the decision to war against his flesh and its sinful desires. And I want you to check out what he does. Fellas, for us, this is how important it is that we need to set up boundaries, and if we're not careful, our spiritual enemy will attempt to attack us in this area in order to sacrifice our purity. Here's uh, number two in your notes, the lust of the eyes. Did you guys catch that in the verse? He said the lust of the eyes. Growing up in church, we always sang this song. If you know 
the last couple words in the song. Go ahead and, and say it out loud. You know, perhaps you sang it before. It said this. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you... Uh, you guys are all heathens. You weren't brought up in church. That's okay. I was a church boy. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. It was a song that said, Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. And we were, we were taught as little ch- children to be careful what we look at. You can't just look at anything and everything that you want. And perhaps you've heard it said before. The truth is that there are a million and one things that are pulling for your eyes' attention every day. The loss of the eyes is looking at things that we shouldn't be looking at and desiring what we don't have that others have. You can sum it up in one word. That word is coveting. Maybe you want to write it down there in your notes next to the verse. Coveting. In fact, thou shalt not covet. It's one of the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. It's never been easier, guys, than ever. It's never been easier to long for and desire for what others have because of social media. Because at any given time, you can whip out your phone, get on your laptop, take out your tablet or whatever. You can scroll through your feed and you can see literally hundreds, if not thousands, of things that your friends have that you don't, but that you want. Right? And men, we can so easily fall into this trap, foolishly desiring what others have. Look at the car that they have. Look at the house that they live in. Look at their marriage. Man, look at that dude's body and his fitness. He's so fit. We can easily look, 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 look and fall into this trap. <clears throat> My prayer. I hope that we can all pray this together. It's Psalm 119 verse 37. And I would love if we can pray this verse as we read it. But pray this verse together as we ask God to help us turn our eyes from not looking at those things that are meaningless. From not coveting what others have. It's Psalm 119 verse 37. Would you guys read it out loud? Let's pray this verse together. Okay? Ready? Go. Turn my eyes from looking at what is worthless. Give me life. In your ways. And I hope that that prayer is a prayer that we can all pray today. Here's number three in your notes. The pride of life. The pride of life. If the lust of of the eyes is looking and longing for what others have, the pride of life is the vain pursuit of the things in this world and thinking that more material things will ultimately satisfy you. They'll ultimately bring you happiness. Now, honestly, I couldn't tell you how many conversations I've had over time speaking to people who honestly believe, man, you know, if I had a better paying job, if I only had more in my savings, if I only had a new car, if I only could afford a bigger home, if only, if only, if only, if only. If I only had all this stuff, then I'll be happy. Have you guys ever had those conversations before? I've been guilty of saying it myself. If I only had more, then I would be happy. The premise is that if you're able to obtain more stuff, then you can finally be happy, you can finally be fulfilled, and you can finally be satisfied. But I want you guys to look at what the author of Ecclesiastes says. This is King Solomon, the wisest king who ever lived. And this guy, listen, he had more money than you'll ever have. He had more stuff than you can ever hope for. He had bigger houses than you will ever live in. And he had access to everything you could ever want. And at the end of his life, do you know what conclusion he drew? Do you want to know what his conclusion was? We can read it. It's Ecclesiastes chapter 1. We're going to read verses 2 to 4 and then jump to verses 8 and 9. This is the guy that had more than you could ever have. Okay? Look what he said. Everything is meaningless. Did you guys underline that right there in your notes? 
Everything is meaningless, completely meaningless. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. History merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. So what is the guy that had more money than you'll ever have? The guy that had more, bigger houses than you'll ever live in? What does he say? It's meaningless. It is meaningless. What all three of these things have in common, the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is that they're all a vain pursuit of the temporal over the eternal. It's chasing the temporary over the eternal. The question is, why? Why? Why would we chase the temporary over the eternal? Why would you trade the amazingness of eternity with God for the fleeting, disappearing, and temporary pleasures of the world? I need you to understand. I need you to see. This is so important that following God, guys, is so, so, so much better. So much better. Obeying God is so much better. What God has for you is so much better. The eternal, the eternity that lies ahead is so much better. Here's how John says it. He basically sums up everything I just said right now in this verse, verse 17. And in fact, I would love if we would read this verse together. This is kind of how he wraps it up in verse 17. All right, let's read it nice and loud. Ready? Go. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. In other words, it's, it's temporary. The lust of the world, it's temporary. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow. Trying to pursue these things, trying to look for these things, it's temporary. So men, especially, since this series is warrior, and it's geared specifically towards the fellas, you know, men, don't get distracted. People of God, don't get distracted. Don't get so caught up in the here and now, satisfying the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, that you trade in something that is so much better. <coughs> Now, John mentions uh, this in this passage. And he mentions, he mentions why it's so much better. He mentions that God made a way for us to experience the forgiveness of sin. The reason why it's so much better is because God gives us Jesus. He explains that we were born in sin. And that separated us from God. But that God made a way for us to experience forgiveness that God had, he created a way for us to be redeemed and to be part of the family of God and that's through Jesus perfect life his perfect death and his resurrection from the grave conquering Satan sin and death if you're here today and you haven't made a conscious decision to make Jesus Christ first in your life the Bible says all you have to do is confess with your mouth believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead that Jesus Christ is Lord then you'll be saved if you take out your connection card, turn it around, fill out all the information in the front, in the back, there's some next steps for us today. If you're here today, you haven't made a decision to follow Jesus, I would love for you to check that off. I'm not going to tell you to raise your hand, I'm not going to do an altar call, I'm not going to do none of that. I want to just help you take your next step.
And for the rest of us, the next step that I hope that we can all take today is this. Ask God to reveal to you the areas of your life where you're distracted. Can you guys do that this week? Can you guys pray for that? God, show me what area of my life, where am I, where am I distracted? Have him show it to you. I'll be praying for you this week. Would you guys join me in prayer? God, um, you know, honestly, whenever we, we speak about this, God, obviously it's such a heavy, heavy thing to talk about. Um, Lord, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And honestly, the reason why it's so difficult is because we're so sinful. And, uh, and it's always painful to look in the mirror. And so God, I just pray, would you reveal to us those areas in our lives where we're distracted? I, I know where I'm distracted. And help me to surrender those areas of my life. Lord, help us and show us this week areas in our lives where we're trading off the eternal for the temporary. Show us where we're distracted, God. And we thank you for the perfect sacrifice of your son, Jesus, who died to pay the price for all our sins. Help us every day to be more and more like him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.